0: Jordan is on best. Harper's on Miller.
1: The they play together. They believe. Um, if cares, LeVert is cold, LeVert back in. Speed. Oh, he's a one-man
0: wrecking crew. Holiday. Shot clock down to six. Finds to Go! Welcome to another edition of the Indie Corn Rose Podcast. This is your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us over on Apple Podcasts. I always want to hear from you and get your feedback. Uh, let me know what you like, dislike, uh, anything you, you think could improve. I, I I, mean, I do this for you guys. Um, so I would love to hear from you. And of course, hit me up on Twitter with any questions, comments, thoughts, anything. I have a running mailbag that I'm doing every Wednesday. So I'm always looking for questions or things that, that you guys are thinking about. Not going to hit up on there. Uh, So today, it's uh, it's another episode of Pacers After Dark. Uh, Just kidding. It's Pacers After Sunrise. I'm recording this uh, on Saturday morning. Uh, I just went through and rewatched the game. I clipped some stuff on Twitter as well. Um, Obviously, all right. So, I mean, just to to start in, uh, Pacers lost to the Boston Celtics last night at the TD Garden in Boston. Uh, they are now 15 and 16 and in the eighth seed, uh, they might be tied. I am not entirely sure, but regardless, uh, dropped four seeds after last night, a lot to unpack from this game, but also a lot of the same stuff that we've been seeing. Uh, we're kind of seeing a trend now, uh, the Pacers defense uh, I I don't want to say turned a corner because it's still not quite where I think it needs to be, or could be, but it's been better over the last two weeks. Um, but then the offense is still really just struggling. Last night, the offense really struggled down the stretch. Uh, the defense was able to get a pretty solid amount of stops. We'll we'll get into that more. But um, the offense continues to be a problem uh, in terms of what they're able to do late game. And also, I mean, right out the gates, the team put up 18 points in the first five minutes. was looking really good. They had an 18-4 lead at one point. Uh, the Celtics take an initial timeout. They make some adjustments, mainly they start, they stop doubling Domas in the post and they start cheating onto him instead uh, to make it harder for him to pass out and and attack double teams. Um, And that really changed the flow of things. Uh, Guys stopped moving as much off ball. There wasn't as much action going on off ball, um, which I think part of that you can look at and say that it's because of the, uh, I mean, just because of how the team has gone lately, that's been a, a, a a staple unfortunately like in a, in a negative way that the ball movement has really died down and the off ball movement has really died down um i'm not entirely sure what to make of that and yeah just to to point out the in the last two weeks the pacers are uh they have a 110.7 offensive rating and a 111 defensive rating so that's 19th and 11th in the league respectively defense solid offense not so much um so I think the first thing that I really want to talk about is Malcolm Brogdon. Malcolm really struggled from the field last night. I believe he finished five of set, yeah, five of seventeen, two of seven from three, not getting to the free throw line at all. Um, but I, I think part of this is he guarded Jason Tatum the entire night. Jason Tatum was the best player on the floor yesterday, um, and Malcolm was tasked with defending him most of the time he was out there. He only played thirty three minutes, which is low for him. Uh, but, I mean, Tatum finished 4 of 18 from the floor, also did not get to the free throw line. Him and Brogdon both just had similarly disappointing offensive games, but I think part of it is just Malcolm's spending so much time and energy defending the top primary option on the other team, and considering he's doing it almost the entire time he's on the court, it makes sense. But he also missed a couple of really you know, easy looks for him that, that we're used to seeing him knock down. He missed some wide open threes off the catch. Uh, he wasn't finishing well at the rim. Um, and also too, uh, the, the Celtics were continuing to, they were going over screens on him at the beginning of the game. They started going under and mixing it up a little bit. And that continues to be a problem for him, which uh, we'll talk about in the second part, portion of this podcast. I have a, a really great guest for the second part that, that you will enjoy. Uh, who's much smarter than I am on this stuff it has a lot of really great insight on what they're doing. Um, but yes, Malcolm continues to just not play well in, in the month of February, uh, right now in 11 games, Malcolm's shooting 41% from the floor, 33% from three, uh, all of his raw numbers are down. He's turning the ball over more. He's assisting on less. And part of that's just because the team is not shooting well. they're shooting, uh, like 20, I think 46% from the field in February, which is not good. Uh, that puts them in the bottom 10, 10 of the league, I believe. Um, so yeah, I mean, A lot of that, I was talking about this with someone on Twitter yesterday. I really think a lot of it just comes down to not having somebody who can take some of the pressure off Malcolm. Not to say that Malcolm can't handle it, but more he's being tasked with driving so much of the offense during the game that he just doesn't have the juice to do it for an an entire 33 to 38 minutes, however long he's out there playing. And he really misses having the gravity of someone like Vic out there. Who can, even if he's not, you know, an all-star level player, somebody who can draw the defense. Because right now, I mean, you look at the starting lineup, Domas obviously can. Miles is not. He can do stuff off the catch. He can do some things as an individual, and he's been really, really pleasant this year. We'll talk about his game in a minute. But Justin Holliday, as good of a catch and shoot shooter as he is, and he can do some stuff off the dribble too. He's not somebody you're really worried about driving and kicking. Um, or like he can drive and kick, but again, he's not really like a huge threat in, in creating his own offense, going to the rim. Um, Jeremy Lamb is not really in that place either, even though he can do some stuff with the ball in his hands, there just isn't somebody else who can take, uh, some of what Malcolm is doing and get Malcolm the opportunity to run off ball, because that's what we saw a lot of at the beginning of the year. I think that's part of why the ball movement was better. Um, part of why the off-ball movement was better, because you were able to get open looks for somebody who was a fantastic off-ball player. And the Pacers have quite a few guys who are good off-ball players, but um, it's just easier when Malcolm's not having to run so much, is, is the point. Um, that two-man game with Malcolm and Domas really struggled down the stretch. Domas only took 12 shots all game. He got to the free throw line a bunch, though. Um, and even more importantly, the Doug McDermott-Domas two-man game has looked kind of just off. The last week, Um, Doug finished two of nine from the field, two of seven from three. He had a cut to the rim that was really nice. Uh, Solid lob from Domas and Doug just couldn't finish it. It ends up hitting the underneath part of the rim. Um, They just weren't weren't really together. Yesterday, Doug only played 23 minutes, which is, again, low for him. He's struggled in February as well. Um, I mean, yeah, he's averaging 13 points per game, but he's shooting 31.8% from three. Uh, over the last 10 games, which is very undug like, but that's been kind of his year. He just really is not shot well from three. He's getting to the rim and finishing well there. But in terms of what he's doing as a shooter, just the shots that we expect from him to fall after last year are not falling. Um but then conversely, Justin Holiday is hitting everything. Like the corners are just made for Justin Holiday apparently. Um he cannot miss from from three uh over the I mean he's shooting forty six percent from 3 in uh in February he's been fantastic but they're really missing Doug being able to do that too. Um, they're not commanding the same off-ball gravity that I I really think that they did last year. Um, from Doug and that, that that's hurt them for sure. I mean teams are still of course tracking him off ball but it's not uh it just in watching it doesn't feel nearly the same as it did last year. Um nice player I really want to hit on is Jeremy Lamb. Jeremy had a really, really, really rough game last night. Uh, defensively, is kind of expected how he's been so far this year. He had a couple of nice plays off ball where he was able to get his hands on a on a ball or it, interrupt the passing lane, uh, and muck things up, and that was nice. But he continues to get absolutely torched in zone. Um, I believe there were four or five straight possessions where the Pacers tried to run a two three and. Um, I don't like pinning things on one player, but Jeremy was just the major reason for why the zone has been so bad. Uh, He's not communicating well, and part of it can go on teammates. You know, again, I'm not on the floor. I can't make those calls. Um, But just the communication does not appear to be there. He's letting guys cut behind him easily, uh, sometimes passing his guy off. Like you let Peyton Pritchard get a rebound off of him, an offensive rebound off him, Peyton Pritchard's like barely my height. Just kidding. I mean, he's five eleven or six foot. So he's, he's taller than me, but you get the point. Um, and I, I mean, the defense is just rough. He can't keep anybody in front of him right now. Um, and the offense wasn't going for him yesterday. He would, I, I mean, when, when, when Jeremy's offense is not efficient or he's not able to really create for himself or he, he's not normally creating for anyone else, um, at least not at a super high level, but I mean, Jeremy was 2 of 7 from the field yesterday. Edmund Sumner almost plays more minutes than him and, and plays more minutes than him down the stretch, which was deserved. I mean, Jeremy just uh, – he, he, when he was driving, he had to pick up his dribble a lot. He was struggling to get to the rim, which he's normally not getting to the rim a ton. But in terms of getting a small advantage and being able to create space for himself, he wasn't able to do that yesterday. Um, so just overall, I think that was probably Jeremy's worst game of the year. Um, Which is, I mean, it's still a good sign because the Pacers were in this game most of the game, uh, and Jeremy just didn't have it. Uh, Edmund Sumner, I am at the point. I tweeted this yesterday. I don't know if he is not a consistent part of the rotation moving forward. I just don't have an answer for why. I don't think there's a legitimate justification for him to not be. Um, Single game plus minus, again, noisy, but he was one of three players to finish with a positive plus minus yesterday. Uh, I was a plus two. You could just see in the way that he played how impactful he was Had two steals. His one assist was for uh, an awesome Justin Holley corner three because Ed dove out of bounds to get a rebound, ran in transition, got the ball back, uh, drove to the rim, and passed out to Justin. It was a breathtaking sequence, one of the best sequences of last night. Um, You just see what Ed can do energy-wise, defensively, I, I mean, Caitlin, people pointed this out on Twitter too. I am not sure what the Patriots were doing defensively with that out there. At times it looked like it was a box and one. At other times it looked like it was zone. At other times I wasn't sure. Um, I don't know if that was on Ed. I don't know if that was on the coaching staff. I don't know if that was supposed to be happening. Uh, so that was interesting. But I thought his defense was pretty solid. Uh, he got, he, I mean, he was deflecting a bunch. He, uh, I, I pointed out as well. He was. Uh, doing some nice stuff off ball in terms of just getting his hands in and, and trying to get the ball, um, which that sounds rudimentary, but uh, like that article I pointed out with miles, just that activity and having hands constantly coming from everywhere. Um, that, that makes it, you, you you have to think more as an offensive player. If, if the opposing team is doing that, I thought that was important. Um, I really liked what he was doing. Um, so again, yes, I have no idea how he cannot, more time he ended up getting to the free throw line three times uh, five attempts but I think one was an and one then two were just other times that he got there but that was fantastic he only goes one of four from the field finishes with six points Um, but again he just provides some of the stuff that this team is missing he's super athletic he gives you a threat in transition he can handle the ball I, I don't think he's ever going to get the opportunity to run um any kind of sets or anything and that's fine that they determine that but I just think he has to be playing from here on out I don't know how you cannot play him after how he played last night and and that goes to another another bench player who played really well last night that was Aaron Holiday um he was just on last night he had a very traditional Aaron Holiday stat line and it's a little reductive but 15 points two steals and nothing else um and he was in more of a play finisher role last night. He was good. Um, he was handling the ball. He was running some stuff. He had just a couple of ridiculous finishes. One, like, he, he dribbled through a double team, uh, split the double, uh, bobbled the ball, almost lost it, almost gets stolen. Somebody darts for it. He picks it up. He hits a floater out of nowhere and saves the possession. Um, and Aaron was just capable of doing that last night. He, he was efficient from the field, 6-12, uh 12 was pretty solid from deep three to seven. He's been better of late. He's still not been awesome inside the arc, but he's found a shot from three lately. Um, I would like to see the passing be a little bit better, but again, he that wasn't really what he was asked to do last night. He was doing a lot in terms of just um, getting balls at the end of possessions um, and trying to uh, to score off them. He did pretty well. Like I, I was pleased with his game. I thought he was solid defensively too. Uh, Kemba Walker, who I'm going to talk about in a minute, he, uh, I thought he was solid on Kemba. He did pretty well on Peyton Pritchard. Uh, Jeff Teague was largely playing when they played zone. So that's why Jeff Teague, I mean, Jeff Teague played actually pretty well last night. Um, he played way better than you should have. Uh, not to be rude, but I, I think Jeff Teague should not be scoring 14 points, um, on good efficiency. He shouldn't be getting to the line eight times. And a lot of that was the zone. Uh, I pointed out a play, um, when they were running that, that that five-man unit with Jeremy at the four, and they kept going back to zone with that, and it was just it, they they got eviscerated when they were running Jeremy at the four in zone, or Jeremy in zone at all was, was rough. And there was one play where Jeff Teague uh, comes down, um, or I think it was Peyton Pritchard who came down with the ball, and Aaron was on Peyton. Um, Jeremy, I can't remember who Jeremy was on right now. But then Jeff Teague came down. And he was wide open. So Aaron comes over to pick up Jeff Teague after Peyton Pritchard passes the ball. But then Jeremy rotates over too, and then Jeff Teague pass fakes and both guys go back to Peyton Pritchard. Jeff Teague goes for a wide open floater, um, and I believe he gets fouled too on that. Like that—that's one of the things. Like the zone communication has been so poor. Um, I I don't understand the intricacies of zone defense as well as some. I'm sure Caitlin has much better opinions on this, and she she always will put it out on Twitter. So, of course, follow her and all the stuff she's saying. But I think you just look at the zone, and so often it's a communication breakdown. It's not necessarily because um, one player isn't – I mean, not because, like, the other team is completely picking them apart. They're getting picked apart because they're not communicating. Like, there was a tice to Robert Williams' high-low that happened because – um, Robert Williams just came inside and Jeremy passed him off. And again, I'm not trying to just pinpoint directly at Jeremy. Part of it could be, I mean, there has to be communication from the back line so that people know what's going on. Miles doesn't even see, uh, at least from the clip, it does not appear like he even sees that Robert Williams sinks into, uh, into the dunker spot. So he steps up on Tice. Tice passes it easily to Robert Williams. Jeremy is not able to make a play because Rob's got a ton of size on him. And it's just super easy points. And that it felt like that happened on like seventy percent of the zone possessions yesterday. I think Caitlin tweeted it out. I, I believe that the Pacers got scored on on uh, I think it was five of nine zone possessions. It might have been slightly more. I think that might have been tweeted out in the third or fourth quarter. I can't remember. But um, regardless, the zone continues to be a little bit confusing. Um, I get wanting to mix in new things, throw different looks, but it was uh it was it was just a lot of head scratching. Um, and just kind of deep size in watching the zone defense play. But uh, alas. um, Now I want to talk about T.J. McConnell. T.J. had an uncharacteristically poor game on defense yesterday. Um, he ended up a team low minus 16. And again, it's just single game plus minus is what it is. But I think a lot of that was he was trying to guard Kemba Walker and Kemba was so good yesterday. Justin had to guard Kemba too. Both guys really struggled on Kemba. And I think that's more of the way that Boston was playing. It was interesting because normally uh the Pacers were playing more center field and not doing strictly drop. It felt like they really wanted to give that uh 16 to 20 footer uh to to the Celtics. And to their credit, they were decent from there. They finished 9-22, which is like around 40%. But Kemba was 3 of 4 on those long-range pull-up mid-rangers. He got to – I mean, he was good from uh, from short mid. He didn't do too much damage at the rim, but he was taking pull-up threes and hitting them. Uh, when you play more of a stricter drop – or not even a strict drop, but they were just dropping enough where they weren't at the level of the screen. Um, and they were conceding that to Kemba. But he had probably his best game of the season yesterday. I mean, his efficiency was great, 10 and 19, 4 of 10 from 3. He got to the free-throw line multiple times. He was just killing the Pacers. I mean, as well as they guarded Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum, I mean, they want to combine nine of 30, only got to the line six times together. They were one of six from three. I really thought they played a good game on on, on Brown and Tatum and were, we're doing some good things of denying the ball to them. But I just don't think that they really had anything in terms of trying to guard Kemba or stop Kemba. And a lot of that came down to TJ McConnell. Again, like, he's normally so good at defending these smaller guards, but Kemba just had it yesterday. Um, I think TJ was fine offensively. Uh, But, again, the way, like, the it was tough because with how little the ball is moving um, offensively, like, I could – I'll have to take a screenshot of this and put it up on Twitter, but there was a play where – Domas is inside, where he's uh, he's in the post, and the the Celtics have all five of their defenders are have a foot in the paint, and that is like so telling of what this offense is right now. Like because there's no movement going on, they're not able to really get get anything going on off ball. Like I think some people are looking at Domas and saying that he's he's ball hogging or something like that, and I I totally disagree. There's just like 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 I mentioned with the Celtics, like they were uh, they weren't really doubling him, and a lot of the offensive scheme is once Domas gets doubled, that's when he passes out because that's how you you create an advantage. You get an open shooter or open driver because somebody has to help out on the Domas, and Domas is he's a good post up player, but he derives mo- like his a lot of his efficiency and ability comes out of being able to pass out of the doubles. And again, he was good getting fouled, getting to getting to the rim. I I thought he he, I mean, probably played uh, the best or second best game of any of the Pacers yesterday. It's him or Miles. They both actually played pretty well um, in some regards. We'll talk more about Miles in a minute. But I, I think it's just without any kind of movement going on. Uh, and, again, that's reductive. Like, there's some stuff going on, but there was a play, too, where it felt like they were waiting for the double to happen to set off-ball movement up. Like, I, I put this play up. It was one of the first things in the thread. Um, it was after they had started to cheat onto to Domas instead of straight doubling him. And you can see Malcolm getting ready to move, but he's waiting for the double. You can see Miles getting ready to, to screen for Malcolm, but he's waiting for the double, and it never comes. So then nothing is set up off-ball. Um, I think they have to really look to try and do something differently with that because that has been uh, – that's just been so apparent over these last 11 games in February. Um, and, again, that's rudimentary stuff, but it, it stands out in rewatching. watching um, Just the ball movement is not there. The off-ball movement is not there that we saw at the beginning. Um, and that's something nice that Edmund Sumner brought. I, I think we're seeing a lot more um, just overall motion from the bench, it feels like, and part of that is – Maybe because they only have one big out there. Um, but again, that's uh, more minutia that I'll have to dive into more. I'm excited. I'm interested to talk to Caitlin about it and we'll see kind of what we come up to with that. I know she'll have a lot of great insight on that as well. Um, so next thing I want to talk about, though, the Pacers were 16 of 35 in the paint yesterday, which is, believe it or not, not good. Uh they just like like we're mentioning they they could not finish inside. I think Domas was good, but everyone else was missing bunnies yesterday, which I I, I don't really understand. What that does anyone if if somebody understands the bunny saying, please hit me up because I don't get it. Like what what is a bunny? Like I get it. Like okay, a bunny is like missing something easy at the rim, but how is that a bunny? Like what why did we decide to call it a bunny? I don't know. Hopefully you enjoy the inner monologue of me because that's that's where I'm at with it. I have no idea what to what to consider it, why it's called a bunny, but it is what it is. Um again, I can't fault Domas for anything offensively yesterday. Uh Miles had a tremendous start to the game. I I mean, I think he had thirteen points in the first quarter, finishes with seventeen points for the game. Part of the issue, he goes two of eight from three. Um he has not shot well from three over the last month. Um Again, in February, shooting 29% from three. I think that'll rise back up, but he's not been great shooting from three at all this year. I mean, he's been below average, below his average. I think that'll come back up, but I'm hopeful that it'll um, kind of regress to the mean in a positive way. So maybe he shoots 37% for the next month um, because he really needs that to to get him going. Um, I like that he's been taking the looks that he's been getting. I don't think he's been hesitant on many looks. He's been so much better with that this year, but at the same time, I really just think that there has to be some way to, to get him better looks. And part of that is the corners. Um, This team is currently 26th in corner three point attempts. And I would really like to see them try and paint the corners more because I think there's an opportunity there that they could really take and getting some easier looks like miles is, I think he's, I mean, it's, again, rudimentary to say, most guys are better shooters from the corner. It's the easier uh, three-point shot. But I think if there's a way to to get more action going on the sides instead of having so much come from above the break, um, I think if they could really utilize the wings and try and get um, Miles and even Domas more looks from the corners. Because a lot of Domas' attempts are from above the break. I just think both guys, if you get them going from the corners, that seems like... A good idea to me, just considering how little is actually coming from there for them. Like, uh, I mean, overall, Domas has taken seven corner threes this year. Uh, Miles has taken 29 corner threes compared to 129 total shots from three. Like, um, And Miles has one of the highest corner attempt rates on the team other than Justin. Justin takes 28% of his shots are from the corner. Um, and the next closest is is Doug at 10%. Like, that's obviously a big big part, big facet of Justin's game. Um, but, again, just a small thing that I think they could really try and work on because Miles is a good corner shooter. Um, that's, where, that's where he started. I mean, shooting 34% from the corner, it's not anything ridiculous, but that's better than shooting 31% above the break. Um, so I would like to see that. Again, I, I would like to see Domas get more of those. He, this just – They look more comfortable doing it. And also, I think it would help to try and get some more side actions instead of running everything above the break. Like I mentioned earlier, like you just throw in some diversity because it feels like a lot is just coming um, in that high pick and roll or or running stagger screens. Um, We'd just like to see that change up. Um, I think as far as the game goes overall um, and where this team is at, I I think – you know, we're, I, a lot of stuff keeps getting thrown around about uh, where the Pacers are right now and people complaining, and I get it. I mean, this team is uh, sub-531 games in the season for what feels like probably the first time since uh, the 14-15 season when Paul George missed the whole year un- until like the last eight games, I think. Um, so it's a rough stretch, but again, like – I talk about this in the pod later on. And for, in case you you haven't checked out the pod notes, this is with, um, this podcast with Steve Jones Jr. Uh, great, great dude. Uh, really appreciate him taking the time. Uh, former coach and video coordinator runs the dunker spot with friend of mine, Nikias Duncan. Um, and not just a friend of mine. I mean, Nikias is one of the best writers, analysts out there. He's fantastic. Um, if you don't follow his work, please do. I learned so much from him. Um, But, you know, we talk about, my point is we talk about this later on, uh, just not having that extra gravity, not having Karras, not having TJ, of course, that's not everything, but it is a lot, especially offensively. I do think that they could be working to get better shots, but, um, so much of it just comes down to asking a lot out of a little right now with asking Malcolm and Domas to to carry so much of the offensive load in a way that I don't think they're equipped to, frankly. Um, and that's not to be unfair. Uh, I, I think that's just being realistic. Like, asking those two guys to be your entire offense is a lot, especially when you don't have the same kind of ability to do things uh, off the ball. Like, we've talked about most of this podcast, you know? Like, that's um, when you're passing out to Justin Holiday instead of to Karis LeVert, somebody who can, like, because just think of it in terms of this. If you pass out to, to Justin, the defense has to think, okay, Justin is a really great shooter. We have to close out to him. But at the same time, I'm not super worried about Justin driving and making something happen at the rim or, or, or from mid-range. And I don't think he's going to make a, a great read if he uh, if if we close out hard on him and he has to pass off from there. Um, so there's that. But, like, if you look at Karras, Karras is a real threat to drive to the rim or to pull up from mid-range or to take that three, even though he's not a great catch-and-shoot guy. He can maybe do, like, a one-dribble pull-up. He's great at those. Um Point being, just there's not a lot of dynamics to the offense. There's a lot of um, one- or two-dimensional players alongside Malcolm and Domas, and that's not to slight them. That's just the nature of where the team is at right now. I do think that they should be a little bit better than where they're at. We've we've talked about that on past pods. But at the same time, I don't think you should be expecting too much more than this team to be right around 500. Uh, just how they currently are. Um, I hope that that changes in the coming weeks, uh, especially, I mean, the next stretch of games. Like we talked about, Tom and I talked about this on the last pod. This, this To close out this half of the season is very important for, for them. Uh, I, I'm not really entirely sure that they're going to, I, I mean, I, to say not entirely sure, I'm pretty positive they're not going to be 500 uh, by the All-Star break. I hope I'm pleasantly surprised, but, uh, I, it, it seems pretty unlikely to me. So we will see what happens there. Um, but overall, uh, you know, onto the Knicks tonight, the, the Pacers play the Knicks at MSG tonight, it'll be a tough game. So one to one series right now, the Knicks are now ahead of the Pacers in the standings, um, which I can't remember the last time we could say that, um, so that's different. Uh, this will be a huge game for, for keeping things going and, and trying to re- find a positive groove headed into the All-Star break because uh, this team really needs it. So without further ado, we're going to take a quick break. And then when I come back, uh, you will hear from Steve Jones Jr. and myself. Welcome to another edition of the Indie Corn Rose podcast. I'm your host, Mark Schindler. As always, before we get started today, if you haven't already, please be sure to rate and review us. Over on Apple Podcasts always helps us out. I want to get your feedback. Let you know, uh, I mean, let me know what what you think. Uh always uh always want to hear from you. Really psyched to be joined today by Steve Jones Jr. Uh if you don't already know him, you, you should, first of all. Um, one of the OG Twitter guys on, on on uh not Twitter, geez. OG film guys on Twitter. I can't speak today, apparently. My dog's been uh, been running me out. Steve, I gotta ask you before we get started. Were you a boxing fan growing up? This is this is going somewhere, I promise. Kind of. I mean, I liked Mike
1: Tyson and Evander Holyfield. And I think I got into like the George Foreman comeback run
0: when I was little. OK. All right. So I yeah, I boxed for a while growing up. I actually like really want to go pro with it. But I uh, Roy Jones was like my idol. So anytime I see your name pop up on Twitter, I, I, I hear Steve Jones Jr. But like the way that Roy got announced coming out the fights. So interesting tidbit that I want to lead off with. No, um, I'll take it. I'll yeah, take it. I mean, right, man. Like, come on uh yeah he's the prime example of somebody who should have stopped a little bit earlier that always makes me a little sad thinking about it but we're here to talk about defense man I'm really excited to uh to, to pick your brain on what you think about where the Pacers are at defensively right now because I have a lot of thoughts on it but you're you know a million times smarter than I am in looking at at some of this stuff um but I think the first thing that I want to ask you is where do you when you look at this Pacers team how do you feel about them like just your general impression on a, on where they're at this year with the new coaching staff. Well, I've gone up
1: and down with the Pacers. I felt like in the start of the season they were they were they had beaten my expectations. Uh, they had fixed a lot of the things that I had thought maybe they need to check off to get to the next level. The pace was better, the tempo was better, uh, the execution was better. They were getting the actions quicker. They were putting more pressure on defenses. Um, they were able to get good minutes out Sabonis and Turner together. Uh, Rodden was taking a step. Oladipo when, when he was here was taking a step. So things were moving in the right direction. You know, I kind of have check boxes for teams, uh, early in the season. So they were checking a lot of the things off. The success came with, you know, obviously they've had injury struggles and now teams are a little bit more prepared. There's more film for them. They're ready for it. So now it's on them to make that adjustment and you see more issues right now, as far as things are bogging down in the half court. Uh, defensively things are up and down so it's kind of how they respond to that so i'm not necessarily out on the pacers uh, but it's just going to be interesting to see how they adjust to the league getting used to what they're doing now
0: yeah yeah most definitely i think i would agree with that like uh, i mean you can just look at the Depot trade is a great uh kind of gauge of where this team is at they were eight and four before they traded him they got a little bit of yeah. hype in national media and then um obviously when you yeah. luckily things worked out the way they did in, in terms of the trade for Karras. Um, but just looking at it strictly in a roster standpoint, you trade a guy who was playing at a sub all-star level with the Pacers for, you know, upgrading somebody into your rotation and not really having anybody to fill that void. So that's obviously a massive dip. And my dog's uh very vocal about it too. Um, he didn't like the I, trade. Dude, hey man, it should have been four <laughs> walks instead of three before I got up. But apparently, um, but yeah, I mean, so you look at that and I, I like how much would you attribute that to impacting the half, or not? I mean, of course, it impacts the half court offense. But um, just from my eyes, it's felt like a lot of the ball, like the off off ball movement has died down a little bit. Um, and in general, it's just I mean, Malcolm and Domas have, have gone down in efficiency without having that extra gravity by them. Um, but do you think there's kind of more to that than just Vic being out or, or what, what have your thoughts been on that as well? Well, I think it hurts because at at a
1: base level, Oladipo was a big threat that -hmm. teams were going to be concerned about. He was a different outlet, so you could run a pick-and-roll with Malcolm. If it doesn't work, you can run another action with Oladipo. So it was kind of a yin-yang effect where they could play off each other. Um, Obviously, you hope Crayer Silver is all right. Overall, health-wise, it's the most important thing. I thought he'd slide right in, but you didn't get him. So right now, you lose what you had with him, and there's no real replacement for it, you know. McDermott, Holiday, solid players and give you spacing. They don't have the same gravity and actions. You know, teams aren't going to withhold them in the same way. So it's tough to recreate it, and it puts more pressure on the Brogdon Sabonis two-man game. And by putting more pressure on that two-man game, defenses are able to lock in on it a little bit more than they were before. So you're not opening the same things up. So it's just it, it's it's a tough thing to evaluate because I don't think it's the end of the world for the Pacers. They obviously have some guys missing, but with the current unit, it's clear what they have to do and who's going to create it. And teams are kind of locking on that. And that makes it tough.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, we saw that even in the last game at school and state, they were really sticking the two man game um, and they were comfortable leaving other guys open or cheating off them a little bit. Um, And especially too, you've mentioned this on Twitter. Caitlin's mentioned it on Twitter. a ton too. Um, just going under the Brogdon screen has, has really given them fits. Uh, and we, we keep seeing that routinely, but in looking at the Pacers defense, because this is what I really want to boil down because I think uh, the offense has been just so much better um, compared to last year, at least more dynamic. They're adding in new things. There are a lot more wrinkles looking at the defense um, at the beginning of the year. I felt a little bit differently about it, but as you know, like, I mean, as we're mentioning with, with Vic leaving, um, and the way that things have changed up, the paces are now, I'm pulling up right now, I believe they're 14th in defense. You um, they're 13th or 14th in defense. I can't get the numbers right, of course. But um, I believe they were sixth last year, and they've been, of course, they were really good under Nate McMillan, the entire Dan Burke era. So the entire time I've been alive, pretty much the Pacers have been like a top 10 defense, as long as you just pretend the Troy Murphy years didn't happen, um, because that's what I do. Uh, but, <laughs> <laughs> but then, I mean, yeah, I mean, so you go from playing... A very conservative scheme all around, mostly putting your guy on an island to now very heavy ball pressure, a lot more trapping than I'd ever seen with the Pacers. Um, before we uh, before I put any judgment on it, what, what are your thoughts on how the defenses look so far um, and the way it's changed up?
1: well it's a mixed bag um they've obviously tried to be way more active uh pressuring the ball off the ball getting into bodies denying and pick and roll not just being at the level but trapping and that puts a lot of pressure on your defense you know if you're gonna have your big at the level you have to have help behind it and uh, part of the issue is sometimes it's a mix really what i'd say is sometimes there's a struggle at what i call the first level so when the guards coming off the screen the trap isn't all the way there he turns the corner and obviously that's a problem, but you know, if they hit the roller, now the help isn't quite there. And now you're even giving up a skip or a layup or those kind of things. And you never want to have both of those issues. You know, one of those issues you can probably deal with, you can probably fix, you can handle, but when you're not sure which one it's going to be, it makes it tough. So it's hard. I I love being at the level. I love being aggressive, but it's one of those things where if you do it all the time, you're handing an advantage to the offense. You know you, They know what you're going to do. You're going to be up there. I'm going to hit the roller. Now you got to play out of it. So it puts pressure on your recovery, your rotations, and the, the help defense hasn't necessarily been where it should be for it to work. The rotations haven't been as consistent as I'd like to see it. So it's kind of a yin-yang effect. Yes, you're trying to take away X, but you're also giving up Y and Z in, in exchange.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I felt really similarly. Like, like even again, just mentioning mentioning the golden state game Uh, they played really good defense. And well, I mean, they played really good defense the entire game, but as you saw, like throughout the, especially the second half, they started cutting from the wings a lot more getting open stuff off the first action. And that's been the big problem. Like, like you're mentioning, like stopping at the first level, they're not getting stops at the first level. Like it reminds me of like almost playing like a tower defense game when I was a kid. Like if you get totally screwed up at the first point, then you're just getting hit farther and farther back. Like if like they can't contain anybody at the point of attack right now, which has been such a major problem. I don't know. I mean, I think just having Karras and the fact that he's a bigger dude with wingspan and some athleticism, like that helps and makes a difference. Same thing with having TJ Warren back eventually if that happens this year, which – I am not sure of yet, Um, but regardless, like they, they cannot keep anyone in front of them.
1: Well, it's tough. It's tough. And, and again, like it, it, it's not just always on pick and roll. Sometimes they get beat off the dribble Um, and now that forces help. So it's just kind of a, it's a tough deal when you can't contain at the point of attack, it just puts so much pressure on your defense overall. Um So it'll be interesting to see how they make the adjustment, you know, uh, cause they can, be softer with miles. And if you see it at times him being a drop, but overall they want to be more aggressive and active. So it's kind of maybe finding that middle ground, maybe using it as personnel, you know, not just as a straight scheme every time, it'll be interesting to see how they grow.
0: Yeah. I, I think that's a great point. Cause that's one of the things that's been, I don't, I mean, like, I guess frustrating, like I, I don't come at it as like a fan perspective, but just like, why are we doing this? Right? Like if you're pressuring with Domas, I, I get it. When, when miles is out there, it's kind of, it's made sense. Um, But when you're pressuring with Domas and he's the only big in the game, that's when it gets a little bit confusing because then Doug McDermott's the low man or, you know, Jeremy Lamb's having to rotate over. And if he makes the right rotation, which doesn't always happen, like even then, like he's not a turn at the rim. That's where it's been confusing. And it's felt very much so like um, working smarter, not harder in some ways. Like they're very much so like, I mean, you can just look at in terms of sheer minutes, like how much they're playing. Um, Like they want to go balls to the wall full energy, get all the stops, get all of the turnovers. But it's just like, it it feels like if you dial it back five to 10%, that would do so much just in like, if you could just employ miles in the drop scheme for a little bit, because even when they do drop him, it's mostly in like center field. He's not really going into a full drop and granted he's fantastic playing center field. He's one of the best in my, like just watching around the league. I feel like he's one of the best, uh, bigs at pick and roll defense like he's so good at neutralizing two on ones but you're still putting him in a really tough situation trying to ask him to do that all the time
1: yeah i mean it's 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 tough when i love activity defensively i love to see it i love rotations i love effort that's fun for me but it's very difficult to maintain because, again, it's an automatic. If it's an automatic, then the offense is going to exploit it because they've seen it over and over again. And you're depending on effort every single night, which makes it really tough in this league where more teams are able to punish you when they skip the ball, when they are able to hit the roller, kick it back out. Now they either hit a shot or drive. Now you got to make another rotation. So it's just kind of going to be interesting to see. Can they balance you know, the ball pressure, the activity, um, the denials because it looks really good sometimes. You know, they'll have really good possessions where they're closing out, getting into bodies, denying, forcing havoc. And then, you know, there's stretches where none of that's occurring and now they're getting beat and gashed. So it's kind of like, okay, can we kind of maybe mix our pitches up, you know, like a pitcher? You know, can we have a fastball, curveball? Can we find our base? You know, it's just the base maybe hasn't been as consistent as the Pacers may have wanted it to be so far.
0: Yeah, yeah. So that's actually a really great point. Like I was, uh, I was talking in one of my group chats the other day. Um, actually, one that your your co-host, Nakiaus Duncan's on. Um, yeah. Dude. <laughs> of course, there's a boom, man. Is this the guy?
1: Know. Is this the one where it said Colin Sexton's better than Jamal? That, that was the
0: one. I actually, oh I God. brought that into the group chat. I saw somebody post something on. It and I was like, I had, I had to bring it up. I was like, hey, this is like, let's talk about it um I, I don't have a stake in that claim to be completely honest i may be from cleveland that doesn't mean i'm voting for colin but that's okay that's um, all right yeah <laughs> uh but it also it's everyone listening of course go listen to the dunker spot it's like my favorite podcast right now i wish it was more than once a week um but yeah so gosh where i was even going with that oh yeah yeah so we were talking yesterday um, is it better to have like one stri- like being really good at one base defense or being able to throw out multiple? And I think that brings up like a really great question. Cause like you're, like you're mentioning um, and I mean, the Pacers base defense hasn't been horrible, but instead of what they had last year and they could rely on, and I think you look at part of Nate McMillan's entire system was um, they had something that they were so consistently good at that that's why they were able to be so, I mean, it's reductive to put it this way, but they were able to be so successful during the regular season because they had this thing that they were consistently relying on. They were excellent at it and they executed really well. I mean, as Nate would always say in games, if they didn't play well, we didn't execute. I mean, that was always his go-to and he was right. Um, But that's, what's been different this year, because you see in like some games they'll run, you know, four or five different schemes, but at some point it feels like they're the base, like there needs to be an ability to kind of rely on the base and it just hasn't felt like it's there yet.
1: Yeah. I mean, and just to address the question you had asked, I would vote it's more important these days to be able to do multiple things defensively rather than just having a great, great base. Now, obviously, best of both worlds, you want to have a great base no matter what. But mm-hmm. if you can do multiple things, you can adjust to different opponents. You can handle different things. Um, we've seen a team like Milwaukee have a tremendous base. And then once that base gets hit, they didn't have anything else to go to. And now they're trying to figure out what to go to now. <laughs> you know, hey, can, yeah. we, switch? can we put Brook Lopez here? You know what I mean? So it's one of those things where versatility is king defensively these days. And I think the more you can mix things up, like I think mixed coverages are the toughest thing for guards to handle these days, only because you're not going to give them the same rhythm. You know, if you're able to trap, then you're able to drop and then you're able to mix that up. And now they don't have the automatic reads. Like I remember I was watching Pacers play the Hawks. I think it was a home game for Indiana. Mm -hmm. And they didn't let Malcolm Brogdon get in a rhythm. They would slide under and then they would next play, they would go over. So it would be like, he's looking for the pull-up. It's not there because they went under. Now he's looking for the pull-up the next time down They're over. And so it's it's not, he didn't get it. He wasn't able to catch a rhythm. So like that kind of speaks to how multiple defenses kind of affect players
0: okay yeah that that totally makes sense um I, I really I appreciate that analogy that makes that that makes lots of sense, put it like that um so in, in looking at some individual players as well um one thing I do have to bring up uh because you mentioned closeouts earlier um how do you feel about Jeremy Lamb's closeout defense I always have to ask people about this because this is uh it's a it's a tricky it's a tricky tricky question I like the activity sometimes, yeah. but I, I don't.
1: Um, the footwork, it, you just gotta keep the ball in front. I, yeah, yeah. I,
0: I always yeah. try and be nice <laughs> about it. I'm like, uh, Jeremy's a great dude. Like, probably the funniest player on the team. Love what he does on offense, but gosh, I just I have no idea where his feet are going sometimes on uh, on defense. Like, I always explain it to people um, because people think. I mean, I do think he might have the biggest wingspan of anybody six foot five that I've ever seen. But like he's so so rough at the point of attack because he's guessing all the time like I remember you helped me out with a piece I wrote on TJ Warren um, like he does not dictate where anybody's going ever he's like always like okay where are you going I'll follow you and uh, and I mean it's just it's yeah like watching it's like watching like you just like zigzags like when he's on a closeout it's like sometimes it's just it's nutty but to, to conversely looking at miles Turner I um, I think his his case has slipped a little bit just because of team defense. Like you're never going to be defensive player of the year if your team's 14th in defense. It just doesn't happen. But um, his all around defensive impact has been insanely good this year. Um, I'd love like just based on what you've seen from him this year. What do you think has been different compared to last year? Because I, I have my own thoughts on what's been a little bit different. But um, what, what do you think's changed up most for him since last uh, year? For
1: me, it's just been the activity and the awareness. You know, I feel like he's able to do more this year. Um, It's not just protecting the paint and blocking shots. He's able to guard on the perimeter a little bit more. He's able to come over and help um, transition defense. So I just feel like he's doing more than he had done before when it was just, hey, this is my job. I'm going to protect this, and that's going to be fine. Like He's just more of an active participant in the defense. Uh, And you can put him in more places and feel confident confident that he's going to get the result that you need. So I've just been impressed by that aspect of it as far as, you know, it's not just the being able to contain and block. Hey, he's on the weak side, pulls over and helps, gets back out to his man, doesn't give up a shot or, you know, those little things are where I've said, you know what, Miles Turner taking a step in that direction.
0: Yeah, definitely. I One of my, like you're mentioning with activity, one of my favorite things that I've liked um, that I, it's just like, I I think what I've picked up on in basketball, because I, I mean, I'm still, I'm still like pretty new to like learning everything. But, like, in watching defense, like like you're measuring with activity, I think some people would think, okay, that's deflections, which, yeah, that's that's where I – when I started noticing activity is deflections. But then you also notice, okay, well, like, um, does he have his arms down at his size or his arms up? Like, Miles always has his arms up. And more importantly, too, I think what he's really improved on – like, he did it a little bit last year, but this year it's all the time. And part of the reason he's been so good in playing center field – um, is he's like great at like jabbing his arms out and just forcing either somebody to pick up their dribble, to not make a pass, to think twice on taking a floater, like makes such a big difference. Like um, Nikola Jokic is obviously a completely different player, but he's somebody like his hand activity is fantastic. Like that's one of the reasons he's able to play at the level of ball screens and things like that. And yeah, that activity has been absolutely tremendous. Um, So, okay. I, I'll ask another one too. What do you think about, Demonish the bonus' defense this year. <sighs> Collective sigh from all the Yeah.
1: It, it depends on how you view it. Yeah. I don't think it's been great in the traditional sense, but for what he's been asked to do, he's mostly done his job. I mean, could he do a better job of containing penetration when he's at the level or trapping? Yes. Uh, could he do a better job in rotation? Yes. But for what he has to do, weak side, I think he's done okay, and I think he can be a guy who I like to call a do your job defender.
0: Yeah,
1: hey, you're gonna do this on, when you're in this action, and we're gonna figure it out. I think he can get there, but it's been a mixed bag for me. going to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> no, trust I, me. I love I, I love Sabonis, but it's just uh, it's, it's been it's been a
0: mixed bag. Well, yeah, that exactly. Like, I think that's what's so hard with uh, gauging this year compared to last year. Cause I think a lot of people have, uh, especially with fans, they've really grilled his defense this year. Um, And it's like, like you're mentioning, like, he's just, the context is so important because I don't really think he's been in terms of like effort or what he's doing IQ wise has been different from last year, but what he's being asked to do is like, it's a 180. you know, it's completely different instead of rotating off the weak side. I mean, he's, at the point of attack, like almost every play, it, it, it's a complete, complete shift in what you're doing. Um, and granted, I think he's held up a little bit better than I thought he would this year in terms of doing that. But still, like you're mentioning, like he's just not, I mean, that's that's asking a lot for somebody. And regardless, it always comes down to can you actually play two bigs or at least these two bigs together, um, which will always be the outstanding question for however ever long they're together. But yeah, I would agree with that. Um, so if, Honestly, if, this is the first year that I've gotten away from that
1: question. Really? What do you mean? I've been hard on the Sabonis-Turner thing. I always felt like their minutes were bad together. Mm-hmm. And, like, I led the train. I felt bad about it, but I did. But this year, I've kind of been like, you know what? they kind of figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> it's been
0: better. Yeah, I guess. Not so it, bad. Oh, <laughs> well, I guess, yeah. Well, see, my thing is, too, it's hard because, like, I look at a lot, like, with when they played Boston last year, they just got – Absolutely slaughtered in this bonus turner minutes because they had, they could have four wings out there with, with a pretty mobile center. Um, and I'm still interested to see how they can function defensively against more teams like that. Because one, like you, like you, like we've talked about, like once they're able to get into that second rotation, it's like that's where you have a problem because then one of the bigs is trying to close out on the corner. And it's not often that the shot is the problem. It's that they're driving to the rim off of that because you can blow by Domas when he's closing out to the corner. Um, but yeah, I mean, we'll see on that. So you overall, though, you feel a lot better about Turner's bonus this year then? I feel better about it this year. It doesn't feel like there's so
1: much in each other's way. You yeah, know, there's been enough nights where they're both doing well. And that may have to do with Miles being better on the perimeter, not just shooting, but hey, the driving. Yeah, <laughs> driving. Yeah. He can but he can do things with the ball in his hands now. It's, it's a vast improvement. It's different, but like it, it always felt like they were in each other's way. Like mm-hmm. it felt like last year even when the Pacers would get to movement which wasn't always the t- the time but it felt like it would end with Miles being open on the perimeter and it'd be like defense wins not because Miles can't yeah. make the play but the defense is like that's that's what we wanted of all that stuff you guys are doing we'll take that but it kind of feels like there's more of a flow between this year
0: so it's been fun to watch yeah yeah definitely um so okay I have one last question if you got time still man yeah um what did you think, uh, did you by chance catch Pacers, uh, Pacers bucks? It was uh, not a, a game that you probably wanted to watch uh, after about the second, second quarter, but uh, they ended up not playing miles Turner on Giannis at all. And they initially actually started with Malcolm on him um, and played him there for most of the game before they put in the, the bench. Um, I, I think that's the one matchup I've really looked at other than one when, when, like we mentioned with Boston, um, that's the one match where I've looked at and just said, I have no idea how they try and defend that. And again, it's, I mean, it's freaking Giannis and Antetokounmpo. I have no idea how anybody defends that. And that's how we're getting with Zion now too. Um, but what are your thoughts on them not using Miles on him at all? I'm assuming an attempt to either protect him or
1: use him as a help defender. It would be my guess. And hope that you can get enough activity from Rogden to bother him and if he gets beat you still have miles able to help as opposed to you know keeping miles back or you know him driving right at miles or something like that so that'd be my guess as to why they may have done that um should they have done that the whole game i don't know <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> you, know, right. yep. you probably probably one of those things you mix and match, but if you feel like, hey, we're gonna try and funnel him, um, he's gonna get in the paint either way, so we might as well have him meet miles instead of beat miles, or you know what I mean, meet him slander slide back, I, I can kind of get it. But
0: I probably wouldn't go that route that was okay that was the closest you've come to a pun all pod man <laughs> <laughs> I, was, I was i've been waiting the entire time man but uh yeah to every i mean to everyone listening uh also the pun father over on uh on dunker spot i thank I, you always say thank my, you for
1: putting respect on my name I, I have
0: to refuses man. to oh dude and he so. sounds like every time that you make one he sounds like my mom when i when i cuss at home <laughs> The deep I'm side, like, <laughs> <laughs> Now, yeah, here's exactly. the thing
1: the more size he gives, the worse these are gonna get, exactly. Right? And if, so, if, you,
0: if you acknowledge that, I'm just gonna keep doing it. Like, I mean, come on, yeah, yeah. yeah. At so, some point gonna, you have to feed into the game, so it's
1: gonna get really bad. And, like, I've had some really bad ones that I haven't said, they've, just,
0: they've got they're, they're progressing, man. You should d- just keep a notebook of them, like, oh, that's
1: volume three or four times a day. Exactly, three, three hey, that's
0: how problem. I feel about jokes, man. I'm like, I'm just <laughs> It. I'll just be Nick Young. I don't care. They'll go in eventually, right? So yeah, throw it up. <laughs> exactly. Well, Steve, I really appreciate your time, man. Where can people find you as or anything you want to you want to plug before you out here?
1: Uh, you should find me on Twitter at Steve Jones Twenty. I'm clipping away, flooding your timelines with knowledge and love. I don't know. <laughs>
0: <laughs> exactly. Well, to everyone listening, of course, go follow Steve and everything he does. He's great. Uh, I appreciate you taking the time, man. Uh, have a good rest of your day. And to everyone listening, go Pacers. No, thank you. And, and listen to the Dunker spot, man. Yes, definitely. Sorry for having that plug in there too.